before we even get started, I just want to say three things. Greta, we're still here. Geraldo, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. And Schiff, you are a traitorous piece of crap, and you deserve prison time, not censures. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. BlackRock owns you a dire warning, scary stuff, from Archbishop Vingano. And China in our backyard, all that and a ton more stuff tonight. Welcome in, welcome rumble.com. Great to have you along for the ride. Please, if you just popped in, don't forget to hit that follow button over there. It's really important. Helps the show out a lot, cost you absolutely nothing, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, my wrinkled up old heart uh, really appreciates it. No, seriously, thank you. Just hit that follow button. It's right over there. Easy to find, easy to do, free for you and helps us out. All right, let's get right into it. We always start off our show with an update on our favorite little lady, and our favorite little lady's name is Miko. The Miko update. I got baby pictures tonight. There you go. <laughs> Look at that. Look at this adorable little thing. Look at that. I, I don't know what. She was maybe six, eight months old, and not even quite a year. Um, she's three and a half now, and uh, doing great. Had a couple of good walks today. We had a thunderstorm that kept trying to come into the area and there was thunder and lightning but it never rained but you know i don't like taking a chance with thunder and lightning so uh, we took a very short pee walk this afternoon this evening uh but had a good one the, uh, this morning so i usually i don't know why i wake up 4 35 o'clock every single day i'm just up now i did morning radio i was a morning radio dj for a long time 15, 20 years. And when I stopped that job, my body and brain said, okay, we're done. And I've never, ever gotten up because I used to have to get up at 4.30 in the morning and get ready for the show. Um, now, recently, I don't know. I'm just getting older, I guess. I wake up 4.35. So we go for a very early morning walk, Miko and I, maybe like 6, 6.30 before the sun comes up. So anyway, she's doing great. And uh, thanks for those of you who uh, write in, email me, or send us a thing. Show it at jsheldon.com is our email address, by the way. And uh, ask about how Miko's doing. Appreciate it. All right. Our Miko update brought to you by BarkBox.com. The link is BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. That'll get you a free month. BarkBox is a monthly subscription. It'll be delivered right to your door. You get a box, a themed box, different theme every month filled with all kinds of goodies for your dog. They will love this, I promise. In fact, BarkBox has a 100% happiness guarantee. If you are ever not happy with something, you just get a hold of customer service and they will make it right. They go out of their way. All right, you get two toys, two bags of treats, and a dog chew every month. It's a different one every month, and uh, they are amazing. Your dog will love it. The toys are specially designed. They've got rough parts and soft parts and squeaky parts and all kinds of cool stuff. And so use that link to get a free month when you sign up for a multi-month subscription, barkbox.com slash Miko, or in our show notes, and this is like this, tomorrow this offer is going to end, the second link in our show notes for BarkBox is for a different deal if you'd like. You can get a floaty for your pool or playing around with the water. There's a couple of sprinklers in there, one designed like a hydrant, which is really cool for the dog, and a couple of pool floats for you. I'm not so sure the dog is going to be able to use a pool floaty, but they're really cool. They're from Fun Boy and BarkBox and the Jay Sheldon Show. Check it out. Special link and special offer for you. Thank you, BarkBox.com, for helping to sponsor the show and sponsoring our Miko update. All right. Hey, you know what? I, uh, I'm i trying something different tonight. I've got the live chat popped out in the because you can either embed it in the web page or you can pop it out. So I've got that open. I don't usually, so I don't often see your chats. There's not a lot of chat going on anyway. But if you ever want to make a comment about something we're talking about, pop it in the chat there. And, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, a one, two, three, Babu, please like and follow my channel if you like content. You know, normally that would be kind of a spammy thing and I wouldn't appreciate your promoting your show on my channel, but we're all family here. So, hey, 
why not? I'll leave it up. And uh, one, two, three, Babu, while you're here, you hit my follow button too, all right? We'll follow each other back and forth. We'll make it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, there you go. All right. So, um, yeah, we uh, this story on BlackRock, of course, I mean, all the stuff that you've all heard of all day, Schiff got censored and it really doesn't matter. He's wearing this like a badge of, of honor, this slime ball. But uh, we're really not going to cover that much tonight because everybody else and their brother is covering it. So, you know, it's like, what's the point? You can see it everywhere and anywhere. Uh, what we are going to cover, though, is a very scary story about BlackRock. And we all know about BlackRock and how they run and control everything. Well, our good friend James O'Keefe from O'Keefe Media Group, OMG, uh, used to be, of course, Project Veritas before those idiots got rid of them. Um, anyway, Larry Fink, BlackRock recruiter, uh, has admitted on hidden camera video that they run the world. And I think that surprises just about absolutely nobody. They buy politicians, they buy global companies, and then they dictate policy. This link is in our show notes. Uh, BlackRock recruiter Sergey Varley, the latest victim of James O'Keefe's new outlet, O'Keefe Media Group, making incredible claims uh, about the investment company in their undercover footage. The BlackRock employee explained to the Undercover Journal uh, how the company gets politicians in its pocket. The senators are effing cheap. You got 10 grand, you can buy a senator. Words right out of his mouth. BlackRock recruiter tells OMG they buy people, politicians, and senators. No surprise there at all. They don't want to be in the news. They, they don't want people to talk about them. They don't want to be anywhere on the radar. Why not? I don't know, but I suspect it's probably because it's easier to do things when people aren't thinking about it. All of these financial institutions, they buy politicians. You can take this big ton of money, and then you can start to buy people. There you go. Yeah, uh, like I said, not really a surprise. It's just actually the surprise is actually them coming right out and saying it. They simply buy politicians, buy people. Um... I work for a company, this guy says, called BlackRock. It's not who is the president. It's who is controlling the wallet of the president. You could buy your candidates. First, there's the senators. These guys are effing cheap. Got 10 grand? Buy a senator. I'll give you 500,000 right now. It doesn't matter who wins. You're in my pocket. At one point, the recruiter explained how BlackRock is profiting from the war in Ukraine. Again, no big surprise to those of us in the awake mode. Ukraine, good for business, he says. You know that, right? Russia blows up Ukraine's grain silos, and the price of wheat is going to go mad up. The Ukrainian economy is the wheat market. The price of bread goes up. And this is fantastic if you're trading volatility, uh, volatility creates opportunity for profit. There is more to this undercover expose, and it is going to be re released very soon, according to James O'Keefe. And this story we will continue to cover because, like I said, on one hand, it absolutely does not surprise me in any way, shape or form because it's something I've just always assumed anyway. But uh, <laughs> it's just amazing to actually hear the words come out of this black rock recruiter's mouth. Frightening. More on that story. Check it out. The link is in our show notes. Everything we always talk about is in our show notes. Now, Representative Luna had uh, put up the um, motion to censure... Uh, lying traitor to the United States, Adam Schiff. That passed. Uh, I had bookmarked this, and I had put it in our show notes, even though it's a bit of old news. 
But I really love what this guy had to say. Take a listen to this. The gentleman's recognized. Thank you, Con <clears throat> Thank you, Congresswoman Luna. I proudly stand with Congresswoman Luna to back this censure of a man that has been long overdue. And I'm glad the galleries are now open where people can see firsthand that you cannot get up in front of Congress or the American people and completely deny the truth and continue to spread falsehoods. There is no TV that could have been turned on over the last couple of years when you didn't see Adam Schiff being questioned, where's your evidence on the Russian collusion? Where is it? He couldn't answer it. It was always coming. Because it didn't exist. Mm, exactly. Anyway, you know, like I said, he's just using this thing for fundraising and wearing it like a badge of honor. Uh, the guy needs to be in prison, if anything else. But, uh, yeah, there you go. So um, <laughs> it happened. He got censured, and there you go. She's also now, by the way, that was, uh, she's also filed uh, motions for impeachment of Biden. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but, you know, hey, got to start somewhere. That, by the way, was Representative Ralph Norman from uh, – South Carolina. I love the South Carolina accent. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, you know, if you didn't know, by the way, one of the many jobs I have, including this show and consulting with a visual effects house and uh, directing TV commercials, is I also do voiceovers for radio, television, films, animated film characters. And um, I have a channel, I have a, a page on Facebook, which has all my uh, my past uh, voice work on it. You can see all the ads and voices that I've done over there. Uh, I, did, I think just look up the voice guy. You'll know it's me. You'll see this ugly mug. If you want to be entertained for a while, you can check that out on Facebook. I think it's called the voice guy or Jay Sheldon voices. Uh, anyway, somebody, well, it's not talking about South Carolina accents, somebody buzzed me uh, from a, an audio recording house and said, can you do an American accent? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where they thought I was from, but just struck me as really funny that somebody would ask if I can do an American accent. And, you know, honestly, the answer to that is, what part of America? I'm from Connecticut, so I have what I consider to be kind of a neutral American accent. There's Southern accents, but then you got Texas and you got Georgia and North Carolina and South Carolina and all kinds of different accents from wherever you happen to be down around the deep, deep South. We practically can't even understand what somebody's saying when they got that deep accent. Why am I talking about accents? Anyway, the Midwest has its own accent. So, yeah, America's a melting pot. They're all great. They're all incredible. But, uh, mm. all right, let's talk about something else that's American and good for you. And that would be Blackout Coffee. Blackout Coffee is one of our sponsors, and we really do appreciate them being here. They are a company that we could not be more proud to have as one of our sponsors. Yes, indeed. This coffee is for people with cojones, with huevos and spines. Uh, tired of the same old liberal garbage coffee that tastes like crap? You want coffee designed for patriots? Blackout coffee is exactly that. You know what? I need to hang on a second. I need to check there. Allow there. Now that won't come up again. <laughs> This coffee, like I said, is for people who have huevos, big ones. I recommend Blackout Coffee because I love it. I absolutely, this is the most, I drink a ton of coffee, and this coffee kicks you in the butt and gets you going every morning or middle of the day, whenever it is. It also drives liberals crazy because this company is 100% committed to American family values, honesty, hard work, conservative values from sourcing the beans to the roasting process customer support shipping blackout coffee has an incredible work ethic they're dedicated to promoting conservative principles and they accept absolutely 
no compromise on taste and quality. This coffee, seriously, it is amazing. One thing to love the country. That comes first all the time. But you got to make a good product. That's how you love the country. Capitalism, hard work. I can tell you the owner of this company cares about two things. The U.S. of A. and making a damn good cup of coffee. Do me a favor, check out Blackout Coffee in the link in our show notes. It's the top link. You will get a great deal from the Jay Sheldon Show if you use our link. And I got you a promo code when you check out. When you're checking out, just use promo code JS20. J-A-Y-S-20 at checkout. And you will get 20% off your first order. That's a hell of a deal. Yeah, Blackout Coffee, J-A-Y-S-20, J-S-20. Uh, and uh, at checkout, you get 20% off your first order. Thank you. Thank you for supporting the country, our troops, our first responders, Blackout Coffee. And thanks for supporting the show, too. Really do appreciate that. All right. I have a scary one. This is the fourth industrial revolution. In short, Klaus Schwab and his WEF idiots are threatening the 20 heads of government of the most industrialized nations in the world to carry out his Great Reset. No, it's not a conspiracy theory. In fact, if you want to check, you'll find that Mr. Schwab wrote a book, and the book was called mm, The Great Reset. This is a global coup d'etat. If you do nothing, you will lose everything, including your freedom, most of all your freedom. Get educated. Fight back. Take a look at this. Take a listen. Listen carefully. It's a little low. I'll pump it up as best I can. But listen to this. Those who do not adapt to this fourth industrial revolution will find themselves ousted and will lose. They will lose everything, including their freedom. In short, Klaus Schwab is threatening the head of government of the 20 most industrialized nations in the world to carry out the programmatic points of the Great Reset in their nation. This goes far beyond the pandemic. It is a global coup d'etat against which it is essential that people rise up and that the still healthy organ of state start an international juridical process. The threat is imminent and serious. Since the World Economic Forum is capable of carrying out its subversive project, and those who govern nations have all become either enslaved or blackmailed by this international mafia. In the light of these statements, and those of others no less delusional than Yuval Noah Harari Schwab's advisor, we understand how the pandemic first served as a trial balloon for imposing controls, coercive measures, curtailing individual freedoms, and increasing unemployment and poverty. The new step will, will have to be carried out by means of economic and energy, energy crises, which are instrumental to the establishment of a synarchic government in the hands of the global elite. Now, I, I know that's a bit hard to understand. He has a very thick Italian accent. That is Archbishop Vingano. Now, you don't have to be Catholic to listen to what he has to say. What I, I know, it's it re, you have to pay attention to understand what he's saying. But what he's saying is scary as hell. Go back, just hit the back button or scroll back on the line and listen again. Turn the volume up. Listen a couple times so you really do get and understand what this man is saying. Because what this man is saying is, A, very true, 
and B should scare the hell out of you and hopefully will encourage you to take some action because that's really ultimately the only thing that is going to stop these people if you and I and everybody stand up and say no more stop we are not going to allow you unelected morons to destroy our country our planet our world We're not going to let it happen it's not it, it, it unless you it's up to you it really is the time to take action has come do it now don't wait and encourage your friends to take action too don't be violent but do everything else in your power to stop these people all right i before i moved here lived in key west florida yeah for five years where i had a career in law enforcement down there i was a internal affairs detective for the monroe county sheriff's department under sheriff rick roth what a great time my lieutenant cindy perryham she and i are still in touch she's moved on but uh yeah we still we still talk now and then anyway that was an amazing career loved it very much and when i was in key west i was 90 miles from cuba the southernmost point in the united states is right at the southernmost tip of the island of key west key west a very small little island it's only about two by four miles it's very very small but the southernmost point is not texas it's florida and key west and when you're standing at that southernmost point in key west you are 90 miles from cuba well isn't this nice links in our show notes china is planning on establishing a military base in cuba indicating it may intend to permanently station troops 90 miles off the u.s coast talk about scaring the hell out of you China reportedly in talks with Cuba to establish a new military training base on the island, indicating the CCP may be planning to permanently station troops. What they say 100 miles is not. It's shorter than that. It's 90 miles away from the U.S. coast. That, according to the Wall Street Journal, according to several current and former U.S. officials who spoke with the Wall Street Journal, China is right now, right now negotiating with Cuba to build a joint military training facility on the country's northern coast, which would be the one that faces Key West. The talks are reportedly at an advantage stage, but not concluded. Now, I don't know what, if anything, we could do about this. I'm certain that if Joe Biden wasn't in China's deepest pockets, that something could be done. But... Why am I hearing this? Okay. Two sources told the outlet the military facility is part of the CCP's Project 141, a People's Liberation Army program to establish a global network of military bases. This report one day after Secretary Blinken traveled to Beijing to meet with the CCP officials and uh, Xi Jinping uh, at the last minute, in fact, Xi Jinping basically said, not interested. And then I think it, it, the guy had like 30 minutes to go. And, and finally, he granted him a few minutes of an audience. They're just dicking with us, folks. They are just playing with us because they know Biden will do nothing and they own Biden. And it's just going to. So now they're going to open up a military base 90 miles off the southernmost tip of the United States. Remember the 60s, the Cuban Missile Crisis? <laughs> Here we go again. I hope not, but it sure is starting to look that way. Mm. Hey, check this out. In our show notes, you'll also find a link at the bottom to our J. Sheldon merchandise. You can find coffee cups, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, uh, tank tops, 
Bluetooth speaker, all kinds of cool stuff, baseball cap. And I am doing a little redesigning of the t-shirts. You're going to love these new t-shirts. So uh, check it out now if you want, but give me a couple days. I think over the weekend probably we'll have a new design t-shirt for the Jay Sheldon show. They're not expensive either. You're going to want to pick one of those up, but wait, don't, I, I, you know, normally I'd say go there, order now. I'm telling you, wait, don't order right. You can order a coffee mug or something else. Although I might give some redesigns to that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, go check it out. And then I'll remind you on Monday because we'll do some redesigns and we'll have a whole new line of Jay Sheldon Joe merchandise coming up in our store. Uh, on, I think it'll be available over the weekend or Monday, something like that. So do check. All right, enough of the uh, self-promotion here. Let's check out this one. Mm, are you uh, tired of the internet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. What would you do with the 90% of your day if it wasn't for the internet? Well, two-thirds of Americans, according to a survey, want to go back to a time before the internet cell phones etc oh man look at that remember this oh yeah you will not remember this if you're under 40 years old probably but there was a day not long ago i lived through it when our modems went from being able to handle 14.4 kilobytes per second to 28.8 kilobytes per second. And we thought we were screaming. Whoa. Remember that? When you got the upgrade, couldn't believe how fast. Suddenly blazing fast speeds. A photo took only a minute or two to come in instead of 10 minutes scanning the lines in before you could see it. By the way, for you old folks out there, you want to hear a modem hookup sound? Let's click there. Let's hear. See what this sounds like. Hang on. Got to double, double my voice, voice for that. Here, Here we go. go. I don't want the ad. Come on. Where's the skip ad bit? Why, well, I got to go all the way through this ad? Ah, oh, man. You're just going to kill me, aren't you? Okay, here we go. This is the sound of the old Hi, I'm Jennifer Lehman, news editor. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, dump that, okay? Anyway, <laughs> uh, nowadays home routers are doing two gigs per second, faster five gigs per second. You can download hundreds of pictures. I am coming at you live from the other side of the planet. Uh, we hold a computer in our hand right here. This has more computing power than the rocket that took the first man to the moon you'd think we'd all be happy with so much information so much data out there well a new poll is out get this 77 percent of middle-aged americans now when you hear this you'd think oh it's all the old farts you know the 70 plus crowd who don't understand who don't get it who don't know how to fully use the internet for all the good it does Oh, no, you would be wrong. 77% of Americans between 35 and 54 years old yeah, want to go back to a time before we were always plugged in. A time before the always-on internet, cell phones in our pockets, ruled our lives. It wasn't just the Middle Ages either. 63%, listen to this, 63% of people from the age of 18 to 34 also want to go back to simpler times. Now, if you're 18, you've never known life without the internet, ever. But even they, 63% say, yeah, I would really prefer simpler times. Weird. Baby boomers want to go back. 60% of well, people older than 55 say they'd rather return to pre-internet days. But overall, 67%. Wow. Say they'd prefer things the way they used to be versus the way they are now. Also, 9 out of 10 open-minded on advanced technology but more than half 
say sometimes they are overwhelmed by the onslaught, and a majority, a huge majority, say the advancement of high-tech is more divisive than unifying. Wow! That is an amazing article. The rest of that is in our show notes. You can check it out. You can read it for yourself. Explore that. And uh, I'm shocked. I mean, I guess that's good news, but shocked. All right. Uh, There's another thing in here, and it's honestly, the article is too wonky to go through it here on the show, but I did include it. Because, you know, how everybody's using facts and figures and 67% of this and this many people did that and everything else. This is an article called Figures Can Lie and Liars Can Figure. So if you're a person who's into all that statistic stuff and how, you know, you see the headlines and it's like, whoa, really? Read this article. It's from Red State and it's brilliant. Like I said, it gets so wonky and swampy right away that I can't really get into it, but I thought this was important enough. I wanted to leave you a link. So you'll see it in the show notes there. It's about the third one from the end uh, from Red State. And it's it's really informative if you want to know about how people use statistics and numbers basically to make them say whatever they want to say that supports their position. Yep. All right, speaking of whatever you want to say to support your position, take a look at this garbage. A textbook publisher. Textbook, as in your child's textbook in school. A textbook publisher is promoting radical, far-left propaganda to your kids in school. Parents should know what this influential publisher is producing for students and adults everywhere. Pearson, the largest publisher of education materials in the world, and has recently expanded to hold contracts with the United States government office that manages the hiring and assessment of federal employees. And in recent years, they've taken an editorial turn right to the left, pushing an increasingly radical ideology in all of its materials and all of its subsidiary companies. These are the people who publish the textbooks your kids use in school. A report put together by the Heritage Foundation shines some light on the ideology being promoted by this textbook giant, revealing Pearson has made numerous far-left concepts integral to everything it does. They maintain significant influence in the education publishing world, so when the publishing giant's editorial guidelines say that the company will make radical ideas such as anti-racism, colorism, colonial discourse, genderism, and intersectionality a part of everything it does. Parents, you need to pay attention. This publisher, very influential, likely publishes the books in your kids' schools and producing it for students everywhere. And this is the kind of far-left radical crap their company logo, uh, motto, encourages. They come right out and say it. They're not hiding anything. It's right there. Look up, find out, go to your school board meetings, find out more about it, see if your your, uh, child's textbooks are being published by a company called Pearson. And if they are, I would strongly suggest that you find out what's in them. You might be surprised. And then when you do find out and you are surprised, you go back to the school board and you ask them why. I usually end with good news and usually it's something cute, funny, animal story. This is neither of those, but it's some really good news on how people are waking up. Of course, it's Tennessee, so I guess it kind of makes sense. But take a look at this headline from the Daily Signal. 
the Republican Attorney General from Tennessee has left a group, exited a group, because it was sponsored by woke companies. Tennessee Attorney General Jonathan Skermetti left a group of state attorney generals that's accepted sponsorships from left-leaning companies and non-profits. The organization is, it's a group of attorney generals. It's called the Attorney General's Alliance. They put their annual conference in Rancho Palos Verde, California. And the annual cons, uh, conference, Monday through Thursday, was expected to attract about 850 attendees uh, from the offices of about 30 state attorney generals. The AG Alliance does not appear to be listing sponsors for this year's conference, but sponsors for last year's gathering included Meta, parent company of Facebook, Amazon, TikTok, and Target. Also, sponsoring the Center for Secure and Modern Elections, one of the left-wing nonprofits started through the Arabella Advisors Network. Well, this Tennessee Attorney General said, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm not going to be a part of this organization if these are the people who sponsor you. Good on you. So there you go. He pulled out. That is Tennessee Attorney General Jonathan Skermetti, who has left a group of attorney generals because of their left-wing bullshit politics. Love stories like these. See, this is the kind of thing. These are the kind of things. We've had a couple of stories tonight, two or three of them. That's the kind of thing that needs to keep happening. Get involved. Speak out. Let your feelings be known. Don't just sit back and do nothing. You're going, eh, there's nothing I can... There is something you can do. You can use your voice. You can use your vote. You can influence your neighbors, your friends, people in your, your chat groups, whatever it might be. Use these links we give you. You can send out, clip and paste, and send them out. They're always in our show notes, everything we talk about here on the show. All right. Uh, we got one more? Yeah, we have our book. <laughs> All right, time to move on to our book. We read books on this show. Keep telling you about that. Uh, we've done classic children's novels for a long, long time. We've read The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, all kinds of great Little Prince, uh, The Velveteen Rabbit we did. Anyway, uh, we are doing 1984 now because basically we are living in 1984. George Orwell so prophetic when he wrote this book. It is amazing. We are all the way up to chapter 15. We finished 14 last night. Uh, chapter 15 is a little longer, so we will dig in here now, and then we'll get through a bit of it, and then probably finish it up on tomorrow night's stream. So, from George Orwell's 1984, this is the start of chapter 15. Winston had woken up with his eyes full of tears. Julia rolled sleepily against him, murmuring something that might have been, what's the matter? I dreamt, he began, and stopped short. It was too complex to be put into words. There was the dream itself, and there was a memory connected with it that had swum in his mind in the few seconds after wakening. He lay back with his eyes shut, still sodden in the atmosphere of the dream. It was a vast, luminous dream in which his whole life seemed to stretch out before him like a landscape on a summer evening after rain. It had all occurred inside the glass paperweight, but the surface of the glass was the dome of the sky, and inside the dome everything was flooded with a clear, soft light in which one could see into interminable distances. The dream had also been comprehended by, indeed in some sense it had consisted in, a gesture of the arm made by his mother, and made again thirty years later by the Jewish woman he had seen on the news film, trying to shelter the small boy from the bullets before the helicopter blew them both 
to pieces. Do you know, he said, that until this moment, I believed I had murdered my mother? Why did you murder her? said Julia, almost asleep. I, I didn't murder her, but not, not physically. In the dream, he'd remembered his last glimpse of his mother, and within a few moments of waking, the cluster of small events surrounding it all had come back. It was a memory that he must have deliberately pushed out of his conscience over so many years. He wasn't certain of the date, but he couldn't have been less than ten years old, possibly twelve, when it happened. His father disappeared sometime earlier, how much earlier he couldn't remember. He remembered better the rackety, uneasy circumstances of the time, the periodical panics about air raids and the sheltering in tube stations, the piles of rubble everywhere, the unintelligible proclamations posted at street corners outside of bakeries, the intermittent machine gun fire in the distance. Above all, the fact that there was never enough to eat. He remembered long afternoons spent with other boys and scrounging around dustbins and rubbish heaps, picking out the ribs of cabbage leaves, potato peelings, sometimes even scraps of stale bread crusts from which they carefully scraped away the cinders, and also in waiting for the passing of trucks which traveled over a certain route and were known to carry cattle feed and which, when they jolted over the bad patches in the road, sometimes spilled a few fragments of oil cake. When his father disappeared, his mother didn't show any surprise or violent grief, but a sudden change came over her. She seemed to become completely spiritless. It was evident even to Winston that she was waiting for something that she knew must happen. She did everything that was needed, cooked, washed, mended, made the bed, swept the floor, dusted the mantelpiece, always very slowly and with a curious lack of superfluous motion, like an artist's lay figure moving of its own accord. Her sh large shapely body seemed to relapse naturally into stillness. For hours at a time she'd sit almost immobile on the bed, nursing his young sister, a tiny, ailing, very silent child of two or three, with a face made simian by thinness. Very occasionally she'd take Winston in her arms and press him against her for a long time without saying anything. He was aware, in spite of his youthfulness and selfishness, that this was somehow connected with the never-ending thing that was about to happen. He remembered the room where they lived, a dark, clothes-smelling room that seemed half-filled by a bed with a white counterpane. There was a gas ring in the fender, a shelf where food was kept, and on the landing outside there was a brown earthenware sink common to several rooms. He remembered his mother's statuesque body bending over the gas ring to stir at something in a saucepan. Above all, he remembered his continuous hunger and the fierce, sordid battles at mealtimes. He'd ask his mother naggingly over and over again why there wasn't more food. He would shout, storm at her. He even remembered the tones of his voice, which was beginning to break prematurely and sometimes boomed in a particular way. Or he'd attempt a sniveling note of pathos in his efforts to get more than his share. His mother was quite ready to give him more than his share. She took it for granted that he, the boy, should have the biggest portion. But however much she gave him, he invariably demanded more. At every meal she'd beseech him not to be selfish, and to remember that his little sister was sick and also needed food. But it was no use. He would cry out with rage when she stopped ladling. He'd try to wrench the saucepan and spoon out of her hands. He'd grab bits from his sister's plate. He knew that he was starving the other two, but he couldn't help it. 
He even felt he had a right to do it. The clamorous hunger in his belly seemed to justify him. Between meals, if his mother didn't stand guard, he was constantly pilfering at the wretched store of food on the shelf. One day, a chocolate ration was issued. There had been no issue for weeks or months past. He remembered quite clearly that precious little morsel of chocolate. It was a two-ounce slab. They still talked about ounces in those days between the three of them. It was obvious it should be divided into three equal parts. Suddenly, as they were listening to somebody else, Winston heard himself demanding in a loud, booming voice that he should be given the whole piece. His mother told him not to be greedy. There was a long, nagging argument that went round and round with shouts and whines and tears and remonstrances and bargainings. His tiny sister, clinging to her mother with both hands, exactly like a baby monkey, sat looking over her shoulder at him with large, mournful eyes. In the end, his mother broke off three-quarters of the chocolate and gave it to Winston, giving the other quarter to his sister. The little girl took hold of it, looked at it dully, perhaps not knowing what it was. Winston stood watching for a moment, and then with a sudden, swift spring, he snatched the piece of chocolate out of his sister's hand and was fleeing for the door. Winston! Winston! his mother called after him. Come back! Give sister back her chocolate. He stopped, but he didn't come back. His mother's anxious eyes were fixed on his face. Even now, he was thinking about the thing. He didn't know what it was that was on the point of happening. His sister, conscious of having been robbed of something, had set up a feeble wail. His mother drew her arms round the child, pressed its face against his, her breast. Something in the gesture told him that his sister was dying. He turned and fled down the stairs, with the chocolate growing sticky in his hand. He never saw his mother again. After he'd devoured the chocolate, he felt somewhat ashamed of himself, hung around in the streets for several hours until hunger drove him home. And when he came back, his mother had disappeared. It was already becoming normal at that time. Nothing was gone from the room except his mother and his sister. They'd not taken any clothes, not even his mother's overcoat. To this day, he did not know with any certainty that his mother was dead. It was perfectly possible she'd merely been sent to a forced labor camp. As for his sister, she might have been removed, like Winston himself, to one of the colonies for homeless children, reclamation centers, they were called, which had grown up as a result of the Civil War. Or She might have been sent to the labor camp along with his mother, or simply left somewhere or other to die. That dream was still vivid in his mind, especially the enveloping, protecting gesture of the arm in which its whole meaning seems to be contained. His mind went back to another dream of two months ago, exactly as his mother had sat on the dingy, white-quilted bed, with the child clinging to her so she had sat in the sunken ship far underneath him, and drowning deeper every minute but still looking up at him through the darkening water. He told Julia the story of his mother's disappearance. Without opening her eyes, she rolled over and settled herself into a more comfortable position. I expect you were a beastly little swine in those days, she said indistinctly. All children are swine. Oh, yes, but the real point of the story... From her breathing, it was evident she'd gone off to sleep again. He would like to have continued talking about his mother. He didn't suppose, from what he could remember of her, she'd been an unusual woman, still less an intelligent one. And yet, she possessed a kind of nobility, a kind of 
purity simply because the standards that she obeyed were private ones. <laughs> her feelings were her own, and... Sorry, her feelings were her own, and could not be altered from the outside. It wouldn't have occurred to her that an action which is ineffectual thereby becomes meaningless. If you loved someone, you loved him. And when you had nothing else to give, you still gave him love. When the last of the chocolate was gone, his mother had clasped the child in her arms. It was no use. It changed nothing. It didn't produce more chocolate. It didn't avert the child's death or her own, but it seemed the natural thing for her to do it. The refugee woman in the boat had also covered the little boy with her arm, which was no more use against the bullets than a sheet of paper. The terrible thing the party had done was to persuade you that mere impulses, mere feelings, were of no account, while at the same time robbing you of all the power over the material world. When once you were in the grip of the party, what you felt or did not feel, what you did or refrained from doing, made literally no difference. Whatever happened, you vanished, and neither you nor your actions were ever heard from again. Wow. That's halfway through chapter 17 there, or 15, sorry. Uh, we'll continue pick it up there on uh, tomorrow night's show. Check it out. That's uh, George Orwell's Heavy Duty, 1984. All right, folks, thanks so much for popping by. Please, if you wouldn't mind, just take a second, hit that follow button. It's right over here. Just click that. Helps the show out. It's free for you, really. All of our great sponsors who help to sponsor this show, keep it free for you, are in our show notes. Some great deals over there, including the amazing Blackout Coffee. Check them out and, uh, yeah, get yourself a deal. I will see you again tomorrow. Thanks for watching. Good night. Bye.